Chapter 9 of The Woman in the Alcove by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mouse Nibbles at the Net. The next day saw me at police headquarters begging an interview from the inspector with the intention of confiding to him a theory which must either cost me his sympathy or open the way to a new inquiry which I felt sure would lead to Mr. Durand's complete exoneration. I chose this gentleman for my confidant from among all those with whom I had been brought into contact by my position as witness in a case of this magnitude, first because he had been present at the most tragic moment of my life, and secondly because I was conscious of a sympathetic bond between us which would ensure me a kind hearing. However ridiculous my idea might appear to him, I was assured that he would treat me with consideration and not visit whatever folly I might be guilty of on the head of him for whom I risked my reputation for good sense. Nor was I disappointed in this. Inspector Dalzell's air was fatherly and his tone altogether gentle as, in reply to my excuses for troubling him with my opinions, he told me that in a case of such importance he was glad to receive the impressions even of such a prejudiced little partisan as myself. The word fired me, and I spoke. You consider Mr. Durand guilty, and so do many others, I fear, in spite of his long record for honesty and uprightness. And why? Because you will not admit the possibility of another person's guilt, a person standing so high in private and public estimation that the very idea seems preposterous and little short of insulting to the country of which he is an acknowledged ornament. My dear, the inspector had actually risen. His expression and whole attitude showed shock, but I did not quail. I only subdued my manner and spoke with quieter conviction. I am aware, said I, how words so daring must impress you. But listen, sir, listen to what I have to say before you utterly condemn me. I acknowledge that it is the frightful position into which I threw Mr. Durand by my deficient attempt to right him which has driven me to make this second effort to fix the crime on the only other man who had possible access to Mrs. Fairbrother at the fatal moment. How could I live in an action? How could you expect me to weigh for a moment this foreigner's reputation against that of my own lover? If I have reasons, reasons? reasons which would appeal to all if instead of this person's having an international reputation at his back he had been a simple gentleman like mr durand would you not consider me entitled to speak certainly but you have no confidence in my reasons inspector they may not weigh against that splash of blood on mr durand's shirt front but such as they are i must give them First, it will be necessary for you to accept for this nonce Mr. Durand's statements are true. Are you willing to do this? I will try. Then a harder thing yet, to put some confidence in my judgment. I saw the man and did not like him long before any intimation of the evening's tragedy had turned suspicion on anyone. I watched him as I watched others. I saw that he had not come to the ball to please Mr. Ramsdell or for any pleasure he himself hoped to reap from social intercourse, but for some purpose much more important, 
and that this purpose was connected with mrs fairbrother's diamond indifferent almost morose before she came upon the scene he brightened to a surprising extent the moment he found himself in her presence not because she was a beautiful woman for he scarcely honoured her face or even her superb figure with a look all his glances were centred on her large fan which in swaying to and fro alternately hid and revealed the splendour on her breast and when by chance it hung suspended for a moment in her forgetful hand and he caught a full glimpse of the giant gem i perceived such a change in his face that if nothing more had occurred that night to give prominence to this woman and her diamond i should have carried home the conviction that interests of no common import lay behind a feeling so extraordinarily displayed fanciful my dear miss van arsdale interesting but fanciful i know i have not yet touched on fact but facts are coming inspector he stared evidently he was not accustomed to hear the law laid down in this fashion by a midget of my proportions go on said he happily i have no clerk here to listen i would not speak if you had these are words but for one ear as yet not even my uncle suspects the direction of my thoughts proceed he again enjoined upon which i plunged into my subject mrs fairbrother wore the real diamond and no imitation to the ball of this i feel sure the bit of glass or paste displayed at the coroner's jury was bright enough but it was not the star of light i saw burning on her breast as she passed me on her way to the alcove miss van arsdale the interest which mr durand displayed in it the marked excitement into which he was thrown by his first view of its size and splendour confirm in my mind the evidence which he gave on oath and he is a well-known diamond expert you know and must have been very well aware that he would injure rather than help his case by this admission that at that time he believed the stone to be real and of immense value wearing such a gem then she entered the fatal alcove and with a smile on her face prepared to employ her fascinations on whoever chanced to come within their reach but now something happened please let me tell you it my own way a shout from the driveway or a bit of snow thrown against the window drew her attention to a man standing below holding up a note fastened to the end of a whip handle i do not know whether or not you have found that man if you have the inspector made no sign i judge that you have not so i may go on with my suppositions mrs fairbrother took in this note she may have expected it and for this reason chose the alcove to sit in or it may have been a surprise to her probably we shall never know the whole truth about it but what we can know and do if you are still holding to our compact and viewing this crime in the light of mr durand's explanations is that it made a change in her and made her anxious to rid herself of the diamond it has been decided that the hurried scrawl should read take warning he means to be at the ball expect trouble if you do not give him the diamond or something to that effect but why was it passed up to her unfinished was the haste too great i hardly think so 
i believe in another explanation which points with startling directness to the possibility that this person referred to in this broken communication was not mr durand but one whom i need not name and that the reason you have failed to find the messenger of whose appearance you have received definite information is that you have not looked among the servants of a certain distinguished visitor in town oh i burst forth with feverish volubility as i saw the inspector's lips open in what could not fail to be a sarcastic utterance i know what you feel tempted to reply why should a servant deliver a warning against his own master if you will be patient with me you will soon see but first i wish to make it clear that mrs fairbrother having received this warning just before mr durand appeared in the alcove reckless scheming woman that she was sought to rid herself of the object against which it was directed in the way we have temporarily accepted as true relying on her arts and possibly misconceiving the nature of mr durand's interest in her she hands over the diamond hidden in her rolled-up gloves which he without suspicion carries away with him thus linking himself indissolubly to a great crime of which another was the perpetrator that other or so i believe from my very heart of hearts was the man i saw leaning against the wall at the foot of the alcove a few minutes before i passed into the supper-room i stopped with a gasp hardly able to meet the stern and forbidding look with which the inspector sought to restrain what he evidently considered the senseless ravings of a child but i had come there to speak and i hastily proceeded before the rebuke thus expressed could formulate itself into words i have some excuse for a declaration so monstrous perhaps i am the only person who can satisfy you in regard to a certain fact which you have expressed some curiosity inspector have you ever solved the mystery of the two broken coffee-cups found amongst the debris at mrs fairbrother's feet it did not come out in the inquest i noticed not yet he cried but you cannot tell me anything about them possibly not but i can tell you this when i reached the supper-room door that evening i looked back and providentially or otherwise only future can determine that detected mr gray in the act of lifting two cups from a tray left by some waiter on a table standing just outside the reception-room door i did not see where he carried them i only saw his face turned toward the alcove as there was no other lady there or anywhere near there i have dared to think here the inspector found speech you saw mr gray lift two cups and turn toward the alcove at a moment we all know to have been critical you should have told me this before he may be a possible witness i scarcely listened i was too full of my own argument there were other people in the hall especially at my end of it a perfect throng was coming from the billiard-room where the dancing had been and it might easily be that he could both enter and leave the secluded spot without attracting attention he had shown too early and much too unmistakably his lack of interest in the general company for his every movement to be watched as at his first arrival but this is simple conjecture what i have to say next is evidence the stiletto have you studied it sir 
I have from the pictures. It is very quaint, and among the devices on the handle is one that especially attracted my attention. See, this is what I mean. And I handed him a drawing which I had made with some care in expectation of this very interview. He surveyed it with some astonishment. I understand. I pursued in trembling tones, for I was much affected by my own daring. That no one has so far succeeded in tracing this weapon to its owner. Why didn't your experts study heraldry and the devices of great houses? They would have found that this one is not unknown in England. I can tell you on whose blazon it can often be seen, and so could Mr. Gray. End of chapter 9